Welcome to episode three of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, and I'm here today with Rob Finch, our founder and CEO. Thanks for joining us again on this weekly podcast where we talk about what we think is really innovative project in the blockchain space. Now, as a note before we get started, this is not a sponsored podcast. We have not been paid to make this by anyone. We're just super excited about this open source technology, um, and we do have to say a little disclaimer. So please do not take anything that we're saying as legal, financial, tax, professional, or other advice. Uh, we're not giving out advice here. We're simply talking about a project that we're passionate about. And as a final note of disclaimer and disclosure, uh, both Zach Gall and I do hold EOS tokens. All right. On today's podcast, we will be discussing the announcements that were made this past Friday, April 6th at the EOS meetup in Hong Kong. Uh, these announcements include a global hackathon that will be touring across four cities and another new VC partner to join the ones that we discussed last week. The Dawn 3.0 release candidate one also went live. We will also be digging into some of the features that we're really interested in and we think will make it stand out above all the other uh, blockchain projects to date. Now, as another note, we're pushing the Everipedia episode back uh, to next week just because there were so many announcements, so much stuff came out of that Hong Kong meetup that we really want to cover that and let you guys know what happened there before we dive deep on Everipedia next week. As a reminder, we, you know, we're not above shilling here. <laughs> Please do go like and subscribe. Uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes or SoundCloud, um, subscribe to us there. You'll get all of our other podcasts uh, and you'll never miss an episode. So talking about this past week, um, we had an EOS meetup, or we didn't, but EOS had a meetup in Hong Kong. They streamed it live for everyone. I was up at uh, 6.30 in the morning watching it, which was much better than the last one. I think the last one was at like 4 or 5 in the morning Eastern time. Yeah, and the, you know, no offense to the, the people who spoke Korean last time, but I think the last one that was in Korea was pretty much entirely in Korean too. And this one was all in English, even though it was in Hong Kong. So it was pretty easy to follow along. Yeah, and also uh, the speakers were all members of the developer team. There was uh, Serg uh, Medellin, I probably messed his name up, head of developer relations. Uh, a lot of different faces than what we've seen before. Ian Grigg was still there. He's a, he's a big uh, name on the Block One team. He's spoken before. But it was nice hearing from all of the, the tech people within Block One rather than uh, just Brendan Bloomer or... Yeah. Um, Brock Pierce, like we've heard at uh, yeah, and you could definitely tell that they were tech people though, because speeches <laughs> weren't as, weren't nearly as polished yeah. or as good as Brendan's or some of the other people who had spoken, but. So still good I, to see those people talking. Yeah, I was in the Telegram channel during the presentation, and they were, they were getting some pretty bad heat. There's actually a moderator. Uh, I, I can't remember his real name. He, he spoke under his real name on the presentation, but his uh, username Sandwich in the ES chat. Mm-hmm. He's actually one of the moderators. He's really real, well known there, and he, he got a little bit of slack. But um, every, everyone stood up for him because they know he, he's a technology guy. Um, he's not a professional speaker. But um, Brent, Brendan chimed in, Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One. He, he stopped in. He was kind of in there during the chat, the entire presentation. He said that he, he wanted us to see the whole team, not just him, not just the executives. He, he wanted us to, to see that um, EOS and Block.1, they're bigger than just Dan Larimer and Brendan Bloomer. So talking about the announcements, let's start first with uh, the Global Hackathon. I think that's pretty cool. So if, if you guys saw, I think it was a month or so ago on the EOSIO YouTube channel, um, they actually released a little hackathon teaser. It was like this crazy like, <laughs> CGI, like futuristic trailer, basically, and then just said hackathon coming in June. Um, but they released more details about it. So what do we know about that now, Zach? Uh, so the series is designed uh, as a way to, to lead a way to enable hackers, marketers, uh, product developers, and business leaders. It, it, it's a way for them to get involved with the EOS IO infrastructure as, as a way to create some decentralized applications and, and a chance to win a lot of money. Um, Block One is actually offering $1.5 million in rewards and prizes. 
Um, I believe uh, they're touring four cities and then a fifth city for the uh, grand finale demo day. Um, it's going to be in Hong Kong on June 9th and 10th, uh, Sydney, Australia on August 4th and 5th, London on September 22nd and 23rd, and then they have a big TBD uh, for the final location, which is November 10th and 11th, and we're hoping it's going to be New York or San Francisco, but that that's never been mentioned by anyone. That's just me hypothesizing that, but that would be great if um, the regulatory climate in the U.S. is a little bit better by then. Uh, EOS will be post-ICO, so hopefully we'll be able to get some stuff going on in the United States. I think that'd be really cool. Definitely. And I think that the coolest part about the hackathons is just the judges. So the judging panel is like an all-star panel, at least from our perspective. So you have Brendan Bloomer, the CEO of Block One, Dan Larimer, of course, the guy behind all this, the CTO, um, Michael Cow and Winnie Liu, who are the two founders of EOS Global, which is a new VC fund that was announced there that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, you have somebody from FinLab AG, which is another VC partner, um, Jane Thomason, Joshua Lavin, and Serg from the developer relations at Block One. Now, for those unfamiliar, the, these blockchain hackathons, they're, they're nothing new. Um, Ethereum is actually one of the bigger hosts of different hackathons. They host an annual one every year called Eth Waterloo. That's their biggest one of the year. Uh, this past year, a company called Go Network actually won that hackathon, and they went on to, to launch an ICO. And another big uh, project that started at a hackathon is actually Bancor. Uh, which recently announced that they're going to be partnering with EOS to do some stuff with them as well. Um, they also went on to do, I think their hackathon was last March or sometime in the spring that they won the hackathon. Right. And then they went on to do their ICO, I think, in June last year. Yeah, something like that. And they were, of course, one of those huge ICOs, raised more than $100 million. And now to see them working with EOS, even though they started on like a, a 24 or 48-hour hackathon, is, is pretty cool to just see the kind of projects that come out of that. So the the grand prize, though, which is cool, um, from these hackathons, not only includes that half a million dollars, you know, out of that big prize pool, but you also get an in-person meeting with the EOS VC partners um, to pitch your project to then get more funding. That's where I, I think it's very interesting. Yeah. As you just heard me talk about Bancor and Go Network, they they got a lot of steam, they got a lot of momentum and good reputation from winning these hackathons, and then they went on to launch ICOs, which is great. That that's been the funding model of 2017. But as Rob just mentioned, uh, the winner of these hackathons get a face-to-face -face meeting and pitch with the VC partners. So rather than going the ICO route, they might go uh, the Everopedia airdrop type route yep. where they could get funding of, let's say, $30 million from one of the global VC partners. That's going to fund their project. And instead of selling tokens to retail investors, they're going to distribute them uh, to the ES token holders across the platform, which would be really cool. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, if you think about it in that way, the winning the grand prize could really be more like a $30 million grand prize if you actually do end up getting that funding from the VCs. So I think the big thing theme of uh, the announcements and the meetup as a whole, it was geared completely towards the developer community. Um, I'm not a developer. I am a token holder. It wasn't really geared necessarily towards the token holders. It, it had everything to do with growing this developer community. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons ETH Ethereum is the second largest um, by market cap uh, token or coin on, on the market is because they probably have by far the biggest developer community. Um, up until these Gen 3 projects start coming to fruition, 
Ethereum is the best thing we've got to date. Um, whether we like it or not, whether it has scalability issues or not, this is what everyone was building on in 2017 because everyone said Ethereum is going to be the future. If you want to uh, put a business on blockchain, it's got to be on Ethereum. Um, but, but as EOS is trying to prove, that is not true. Um, there's a bigger, better tool coming out. <laughs> uh, we, we think it's going to change the world. We really do. Yeah, and to that point about developers, I thought it was cool. Block One basically came out and said, hey, here, here are the five most active people who've contributed to our code. They've you know pushed this code to GitHub. They've been helping us build this platform. And they said that they're going to fly them out, all expenses paid, to the first EOS hackathon um, in Hong Kong that happens, uh, I believe, in June, June 9th to 10th. Um, the, the other cool thing that I thought came out of this wasn't actually from block one, but was from the community in some way. Um, apparently there were a lot of people who were a little upset and rightfully so that, you know, these are all in-person hackathons, you know, it makes sense. You, you want to, you know, do a big video production. You want to stream it live. You want to have everybody in the same place to make sure nobody's cheating or anything like that. But somebody actually came out and announced that they're going to do, um, another hackathon where you can kind of hack from your computer. You don't have to go to one sort of centralized meetup, um, called hack till dawn. So there's not a lot of other details out about it yet. Um, but I would expect that we'll find out details soon in the coming weeks and months um, about how to join that hackathon, you know, what the prizes are going to be, and, and we'll see what comes out of that. And, and I think that'll be cool since it's a, a community-run hackathon. Yeah, and as, as far as the teams, because not every developer on EOS is going to live in Hong Kong, Sydney, or London, um, Block One, they, they'll actually be doing some community-driven contests. They're going to be accepting video pitches. Uh, for selected teams to get travel stipends. So they'll at least be able to travel to the cities and get their, their food and lodging paid for based on a video pitch. Um, they also acknowledge that the five most active community contributors to the EOS uh, core software on GitHub, they, they have already won their expenses and travel to be paid. So that's that's pretty cool too. They announced their names on, on the... Um, the presentation, and I don't. I think they said that none of those coders or developers actually even knew they're they're going to win this, which is really cool. It was a cool surprise, definitely. And on the same developer point, um, one of the other announcements was from Ian Grigg um, talking more about developer outreach. So, uh, Block One has said that they're going to host more events, they're going to speak at conferences, they're going to go to universities, um, and and they even mentioned specifically technology and education partnerships, which Zach, I think you were pretty excited about. Yeah. So uh, a week or two ago, I actually went to a, a local university here. You may have heard of Carnegie. Mellon University. It's a huge robotics and technology and computer science university uh, local to here in Pittsburgh. And I actually sat in on a, a blockchain course. Uh, they were talking about Merkle trees and Bitcoin and, and all kinds of different technology stuff. I didn't really understand the Merkle trees. I, I get it on the surface. I get blockchain, but I'm not a developer. Um, but it was interesting because a, a lot of like the current events going on in blockchain, the, the professor wasn't really privy to, to anything going on beyond like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And even Ethereum, he was a little bit behind. Bitcoin, he's way behind. He said something about it never forked. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I just wanted to correct him so bad, but I, I had too much respect for him because he was a very smart man. Um, but the, the university level, I, I thought that Carnegie Mellon was going to ha have... Um, top of the line uh, blockchain students who wanted to, to build. And I spoke to the professor after the class. He said that um, they don't really have an active crypto community right now. They used to do uh, like a month monthly club meetup that they don't have anymore. Oh, wow. So, so there's definitely room for improvement. I think there's other universities that, that definitely have a stronger appeal to blockchain. I know Imperial College in London has a blockchain like college within their university. Oh, which really? Is really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, MIT, what's, what's that lab called that they have? The Innovation Lab or Think Lab or something like yeah, that? They, yeah, they have a lab specifically for like innovative projects like this. Um, so I'm hoping Carnegie Mellon University can get there because it's so close to us. 
Um, we're also re really close to the University of Pittsburgh, being in Pittsburgh. Um, Rob actually met a gentleman there. He was a professor. He's an engineering professor, and he's in charge of the only um, scholarly peer-reviewed journal yeah. for blockchain. So, so there's a lot of cool stuff going on, but there's still years away. Um, the biggest problem, I think, is who teaches the teachers? Right. Where, where, where are these seminars going on that teach the curriculum that these teachers should be teaching their students? There, there's a huge need for blockchain developers. If, if you go on, is it AngelList where they post yeah. all, all the startup jobs? They, they can't fill these blockchain positions. Yeah. There are not enough blockchain developers. And I think one of uh, the things that Block One and EOS are going to do is they're going to be funding these conferences and seminars mm -hmm. and consultants who are going to go to the university level. They're going to go to business enterprise businesses and they're going to tell them why they need to be on blockchain, what's great about EOS, and it's going to change everything. We, yeah. We've been waiting for this mainstream adoption for years now, and, and it seems like it's getting closer and closer. Definitely. And it's crazy. You know, it, it makes more and more sense why EOS, you know, doesn't necessarily need, but but how they're going to take these billions of dollars that they're raising through their, their year-long sale and how they're going to utilize those. Obviously, we have the billion dollars set aside for um, you know, funding dApps through VC partnerships. But now when you think about technology and education, the massive project that that is to take on, they could use another, say, even with $100 million, think about what they could do by by putting courses in all these universities and setting up, you know, third-party certification. So you can say, hey, I passed this course. I'm certified to be an EOS blockchain developer. Just like um, if, if anyone's ever developed on like .NET, which is Microsoft's, uh, one of their programming languages or frameworks or libraries, whatever you want to call it, they, they have all kinds of certifications to prove that you're certified in SQL, you're certified on .NET, you're certified on this or that. And I, I think that's where we're headed here with EOS. And mm -hmm. uh, EOS has been referred to as an operating system for the blockchain. And if you think of it like that, you think of if you're a Windows developer or a, a Mac OS developer, there's different certification levels to prove that, that you're an expert in, in that field or in that language. Definitely. And I think that's some of the stuff we're going to see here. So that's exciting. That's kind of the first you know, package of announcements all sort of related to developers. Even if you're not a developer following along, I hope you can kind of see you know, uh, what kind of impact that that could potentially well, I, make. I think going into that, we, we mentioned the money. So yeah. they, last week, we spent a whole episode talking about these VC funds. And yeah. Rob actually pointed out to me, he read off, off the air somewhere, that the $600 million that has been committed to VC funds is not even all coming from Block.1. Right. It's actually, what was it, 50 to 75% from Block.1. Was I'm it? not sure the actual percent breakdown, but... So don't, don't quote me on that. Yeah, don't, don't <laughs> quote that. But all I know is that the a portion of every single VC announcement, so like, like when Mike Novogratz comes out and says, hey, I'm putting $325 million into this, or recently at this last event where another $200 million was added to this, 100% of that isn't coming from that billion-dollar block one fund. They're actually leveraging that money that they have to get the VCs to then put in, in some of their own capital and make that giant billion-dollar DAP development fund even bigger. Which makes sense. That way everyone has skin in the game. Yep. Every Everyone has a reason to want to see this. And everyone wants this to grow. Everyone knows blockchain's the future. It's just a matter of when, yeah. not if. And I think they're, it, it makes sense for them, you know, from a business perspective, for them not to come out and disclose, hey, 70% was ours and 30% was theirs. Because I, I, I'm sure that they have slightly different agreements for mm -hmm. all of these VC partners. So they want to leave it a little vague, you think? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be surprised, for example, if the $200 million partnership, which I guess we might as well talk about now, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's 100% funded by Block One, since Michael Cow is a part of Block One, um, and I believe Winnie Lou is as well. So, talking about that, what happened? What did they announce, Zach? So, it's another $200 million uh, VC partnership uh, for an Asian-focused fund. 
Um, it's called EOS Global is the fund name, and it's going to be the fourth injection of capital through EOS's VC initiative, and it's going to take the total announced uh, VC funding to $600 million. That, that's bigger than almost every other ICO that's ever launched to date. And it, yeah. it's, um, we actually had an ICO uh, come, come through our doors uh, that we listed on our site recently called, I think, Iconic Labs. Um, what they are is they, they're launching two accelerators, one, I believe, in Europe and one in New York City. And they're, they're launching an ICO for their accelerators, hmm. but they're actually being partially funded by FinLab, who was oh, one of the uh, VC partners we discussed last week. Yeah. So accelerators are, are things that exist in regular business. There, there's probably three or four of them in Pittsburgh that I can name off the top of my head where an early stage company will get like $25,000, $30,000 of funding right. just to kind of network within the community, learn how to run a business, learn what they need to do to make themselves grow. And then they go through a three-month accelerator program hmm. to, to see if they're viable as a company. And on, on the last day, they usually have a pitch competition and they're pitching to uh, cap, more, more capital investors. So I, I think these accelerators for blockchain projects are going to be a, a thing that we see more and more of. And I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what happens with Iconic Labs. Unfortunately, I, I can't invest myself <laughs> um, being a U.S. citizen, but I am really happy that after their ICO, they'll be launching uh, an accelerator in New York City. Definitely. That's very cool. And with this $200 million VC partnership, it's a little bit different than Iconic Labs, but it's Michael Cowan, Winnie Lou. Michael Cowan, if you don't know, was a huge uh, Bitcoin miner. At one point, I think, was the largest Bitcoin miner before. I think he sells equipment, too. Yeah, they did through, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the company now, um, but Michael's a great guy. I've spoken with him on the phone before many, many months ago, um, last year at some point. He's, he's super passionate about the space. He's just like an all-around, very positive, friendly guy. So it's awesome to see him and Winnie Lou um, partnering with Block One and, and setting up this $200 million venture. And I, I think... What's important about this, and it's something we haven't seen with Block One or EOS yet, is that these are going to be strategic events, investments in Asia-focused projects that are utilizing EOSIO. So all of these projects are going to be within Asia. We're going to see a lot of Korean projects, Japanese projects, Thai projects, Chinese projects, and anywhere and, in Asia, we're going to see a and, lot of projects. And with the Asian market, we're going to probably see some really cool gaming dApps. Yeah. I know, I know Rob. Rob's a big gamer. I, I, I can only imagine the, the <laughs> ideas he has in his head of like what blockchain could do for gaming. I mean, uh, a lot of the big names in Block One got their start in online gaming, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. I mean, Brendan Bloomer um, and Brock Pierce, I believe, both set up a company called uh, ING, I believe is what it was. And at one point... Um, they were the largest gold mining company for World of Warcraft and all these other online MMOs, you know, online strategy games, things like that. And at one point, they had 400,000 employees in China that were working for them farming gold for these they're, So they're essentially uh, paying an army of gamers like, yeah. to, to just be basically be a robot playing a game to mine <laughs> gold. And then they would sell this fake digital gold yeah. within a World of Warcraft type game and they would sell it for cash yeah, for on the money. open market. Uh, but the problem with that was it was a centralized system. World 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 Warcraft's owned by who? Blizzard, right? Blizzard, yeah. Yeah. So so Blizzard controls the keys to the kingdom. Mm -hmm. If if they want to turn off a specific item, this item could have been worth a thousand dollars in real life and could have been bought and sold on an open market outside of the game. But Blizzard has the control to just nope, that item doesn't yeah. exist anymore. Well, and what's crazy is recently Blizzard actually, I think I think over the years they probably saw how much money these gold farmers were making. 
Um, and they actually launched their own way to kind of buy gold from other players within the game. It's through what's called a WoW token. So I can I can spend twenty dollars and buy a WoW token, and then sell it to someone in the game for gold, and they get fifteen dollars worth of value out of it. Whether it's like a subscription or they want to buy a digital item, so they're making an extra five dollars on that transfer from by basically me buying gold from another player. It's always kind of blown my mind how how. Uh, game development companies look down on that as if like people aren't going to do it. Like uh, I, I actually bought coins in Madden before because I wanted to get better, <laughs> ma- better Madden players on my, on, on my ultimate team, which you get like <laughs> you, you collect these trading cards and you could buy better players. And I always wanted these legends like Bo Jackson. Right. Uh, so I actually, there was like a Reddit channel where you basically make these, these deals with these uh, coin sellers and you do it through PayPal. And I actually got scammed one time for like a hundred bucks. <laughs> I was so mad. That's, I, I, that, that's for another episode. I, it was like a, a double scam. It was really, it, it, yeah, it was very, intricate how it was done i was very impressed with their uh, scamming ability actually yeah i think this uh, with all the different stuff we could talk about with gaming yeah. i think we should probably do a Save gaming, for another episode yeah let's do a gaming centric episode in the future maybe after some some games have announced that they're launching on eos but uh get back into the funding um out, outside of the fund that they announced the the eos global uh they spent a lot of time mentioning how to get your project in front of the right people yeah. uh, they gave an email address i think i don't it's I, vc V as in Victor, C as in cat at block dot one. So email them if you have a cool idea, if you're working on a project. Maybe instead of doing an ICO, you want to do an airdrop and get funding from block one. Email VC at block dot one and they'll uh, they'll take a look. That's that's one of the coolest things about EOS and block one is how how easy they are to reach. Yeah. You can go into the EOS channels and talk to the CTO, Dan Larimer, yeah. the CEO, Brendan Bloomer, and they will respond to you. And I'm sure if you have a great idea for a, a decentralized application, you could email VC and they will respond. They'll tell you if it's a good idea. They'll tell you if it's a bad idea. They'll tell you where you need to work on it. And that that's awesome because Definitely. they're they're trying to build this developer community. It's all about the developer community because that's how we're going to have mainstream decentralized applications is we need people to build them for us and they need to understand the problems that blockchain can solve. So if you're in an industry where you and, and you're interested in blockchain, you, you see all of the opportunity, but you just don't know how, how to how to build it, how to how to get the funding for it. Email email block one. They might be able to help you out. And if they can't help you out themselves, they could probably get you in touch with the right people. Definitely. So that's the the two hundred million dollar VC partnership that was announced. Uh, moving on to the last piece, which was pretty significant. Technically announced, uh, I believe the day before, two days before the event. Uh, was Dawn 3.0. So if you're not familiar, if you haven't been keeping up with updates, maybe you're not a developer, um, the actual EOS software has gone through now three iterations. So there was Dawn 1.0, um, which was you know the first version of EOS, sort of like the, the proof of concept, if you will, which moved into 2.0, which brought in a lot of really cool features, uh, made it easier for people to set up you know, multi-node test nets, you know, start testing their infrastructure if they're going to be a block producer. Um, but now we have what is the first what's called a release candidate, or Dawn 3.0. And a release candidate basically means that this is the code uh, that will most likely go live in June. So basically, the platform is done now, um, and, and they're releasing it to all these developers to test for now the next two months before this thing goes live. So so I think this stuff is done as far as building the decentralized applications. I think the governance and the consensus uh, software, that that's what they're going to be working on for the next couple two months, I right. guess. Uh, but as far as the actual, if you want to build an application on EOS, that, that stuff's not completely relevant to you at this point. You could start building your, your decentralized application or kind of hypothesizing how you would build uh, it right now with the release candidate. Um, 
one of the other focuses of that block one mentioned is they, they want to over document this stuff. If, if you've ever uh, tried learning web development of any type or any sort of programming, you need a lot of re resources to yeah. learn from, whether that be YouTube videos, online courses, certifications, you need somewhere to learn. And that's one of Block One's main focuses is putting the documentation together, the video tutorials. We're, we're going to see more and more of this stuff over the next couple months, and it's going to be really exciting. Definitely. And talking about some of the features, you know, if you read the EOSIO Dawn 3.09 available post from Dan Larimer, we'll link probably, that on our, our blog also. Yeah, we'll link it there, but uh, you probably didn't understand anything that it said. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you understood a little bit of it, but, but chances are, if you're not a developer, you were like, okay, this seems like a lot of stuff, but I'm not really sure what's going on here. So second, I thought that, you know, why not pull out a couple of the most significant things um, from Dawn 3.0 and starting with what, what I'm super excited about. Um, which is inter-blockchain communication. So what inter-blockchain communication basically is, is the ability for uh, one blockchain to talk to the other. So thinking about it in this context of EOS, it's actually a way um, to make EOS infinitely scalable, potentially. So if you think one um, you know, instance of the EOS blockchain can process several thousand transactions per second in its current state before they release the multi-threaded, the, the souped-up version later this year, um, but that one blockchain processing thousands of transactions per second um, can, can now be sort of duplicated as many times as you want. So if I have one blockchain that does 10,000 transactions per second, I can set up 10 linked blockchains now through inter-blockchain communication that all use the same EOS token. It's not like you're minting more tokens. It's still that same 1 billion tokens. But now with 10 of those, I can do 100,000 transactions per second. And if I want to set up 100 of those, now I can do a million transactions per second. So inter-blockchain communication um, being added to EOS Dawn 3.0 is actually a very, very significant feature because it, it can effectively allow it to scale infinitely. Yeah, and um, I, I think you've given a good example on that before of the multi-lane highway. I, I think if you could repeat that one, I, you could tell it way better than I can. Yeah, so if you think of a, a single-threaded platform like Ethereum or even you know the first instance of EOS as you know a single-lane road, it's a single-lane road with a very slow speed. Um, EOS obviously a faster speed limit than Ethereum on that road, <laughs> much but, faster. But if you think about that road, it's got a you know a speed limit. You have to wait for the car in front of you to go through before you can go through. And if a car is a transaction, you know you have to wait for the person's transaction to go through before yours can go through. It's single threaded. You're all in a single file line. But when you uh, enable interchain communication, but then you also enable things like multi-threaded support, which will happen um, supposedly later this year, um, you then turn that single lane road into a multi-lane superhighway, where even if the guy in the far right lane has a super complex transaction and it's taking a long time, you can go in the left lane, the high speed lane, and, and actually pass him and, and um, send your transaction at the same time somebody else sends there. So it's going to do incredible things for scalability. And you know, with that multi-threaded support coming later and the inter-blockchain communication support coming now, this thing can effectively scale to, to whatever limits it needs to scale to to support any kind of decentralized app. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get more into that in the, in the future. And I, I guess now would be a good time for me to get into one of, one of the features that I'm most excited about because it's so simple. So you, you think about any 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 website or application you'd sign up for, the first thing you do is you create an account. That, that's your standard thing. You create a username and you create a password, and then you log in. But what if you don't use that app, or what if you use it very infrequently and you forget your password? What, what do you do in, in the case of that? You click the forgot password button, and every application ever built on the internet in the last 15, 20 years has a forgot your password function. Yeah. Uh, it, it's standard. 
Um, but in the blockchain world, nobody has that. So what happens when you lose your private keys? You, you lose everything. Yeah, part of the reason why I think it's important to highlight why that doesn't exist in the blockchain space is because in order to be decentralized, people had this thought, oh, okay, you know, if, if someone can help you recover your password, they must be the centralized entity that controls all the keys and is just giving you access. But Block One looked at it totally differently and is, is actually not using any kind of centralization to make uh, lost password recovery possible. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, so to simplify, you would designate friends or family or husband or wife to be your recover password partner. Right. Um, so if I ever lost my password and I made Rob my, my password delegate, or I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going to call it. Recovery partner. Recovery partner. So if I forget my password, for instance, I, I could have my wife or, or my best friend or, or my boss here, Rob, as my, uh, <laughs> as my recovery, uh, my password recovery delegate. Uh, designated recovery partner. They don't really have a, a name for it yet, I don't think. But essentially, they would be able to trigger an, a forgot password, so I'd be able to set a new one. And the way that that works is basically, you know, if, if I make you, Zach, my recovery partner, um, you can't just go out and suddenly recover my account without me doing anything. But we can set up a time delay that says, hey, if I, Rob, don't send a transaction within 30 days, then you have the ability to reset the password for me. So that prevents you from going out and stealing all my EOS, but it allows us to get into the account and sort of reset the ownership to a new account that I have the password for in the event that I totally forget my password. So that's kind of how that works. And it, it also plays into the stolen account or hacked account recovery. And I, I think... Uh, to tie into this is what what Dan's mentioned about the iPhone hardware and fingerprint and face ID security. So w with ESIO, they they plan to have a native wallet on iOS. And if you own an iPhone and use iOS, almost any password protection you have can be unlocked with your face. So it uses the biometrics of your face or your fingerprint to actually un unlock different passwords on your phone. So essentially, you should never forget your password anyway, unless maybe you got into an accident and your face got all mangled up. Right, or you if you, you drop your phone and it gets run over by a car and your phone gets destroyed, then you might need to recover it. But As far as I know, no one else is working with the secure enclave, though, are they? No, I don't think so. And what, what Zach's talking about, the secure enclave is basically a, a chip inside your iPhone that it, it's, it's air-gapped. It's separate. It never touches the internet. It, it just lives on your iPhone and never, never goes anywhere else. The data doesn't get sent to Apple. And the data that's on it right now is biometric data. So it's that face ID, it's that touch ID, your fingerprint and your face um, that, that live there. And what Dan has figured out how to do is basically use that secure enclave on your iPhone uh, or on your MacBook as uh, your hardware wallet. So instead of carrying around a ledger or a trezor where you're storing your private keys, you can store them on your iPhone. And if you lose your phone or your phone gets stolen, somebody can't get into it because they don't have your fingerprint, they don't have your face. Um, but you can recover it with your recovery partner since they have that seat set up. And I, I think that this is one of the biggest features on EOS because it's something so simple. Definitely. Uh, for, for a blockchain application or a platform to gain mainstream acceptance, it needs to be better and go above and beyond anything that's currently available. And a forgot password function is something standard across anything we we do on with today's technology. So, so that's going to be really, really big. I mean, you, you saw whenever... Uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies really blew up in December and January, you noticed the new warnings on my Ether wallet. Yeah. You got to click through about 10, I agree, I understand, because it's <laughs> saying we are not a bank, we can't for, find your lost keys, if you give your private key to someone else, you're screwed. Yep. Like These type of warnings are normal because we're, a lot of new people are coming into the blockchain space and th they're used to centralized entities where you have that forgot password function. I, 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 I think it's crucial for, for anything to ever 
be used by the mainstream public. Absolutely. And the last part of that, in addition to lost password recovery, is hacked account recovery. So right now, if you have you know a bunch of Ethereum in your account, let's say you know I have 100 Ether that's sitting in my ledger. If somebody somehow hacks into my account, they find out my key somehow, um, and they get into it, by the time I figure it out, it's too late because that 100 Ether has not been transferred out of my account. It's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. But with EOS, I can set up uh, another time delay where I can say, hey, in order for somebody to transfer all of my EOS out of my account, I want that that process to take 30 days. I want it to not even send for a 30-day period. So let's say I go home one day and I log in. I say, oh, wow, someone has hacked into my account and is trying to send all of my EOS out of my account to, <laughs> to their account. Well, it's going to take them 30 days. So in that 30-day period, I can go to my recovery partner, um, basically cancel that transaction and reassign ownership to a new password so that that hacker who would have on, say, Ethereum or another platform gotten all my funds now got nothing. Mm-hmm. So you think about all the big hacks we've seen over the last year. It's like every month there's another big one, and all of that can potentially be completely eliminated. Yeah. Um, I, I think this might be a good time to wrap it up this week. Um, we, we enjoyed talking to you guys about it. I would like to, to finish this off with uh, a question and an answer from Dan Larimer in the Telegram channel. I, I, it happened last week. Uh, so a member named Taz asked Dan, with the likes of ADA, also known as Cardano, credits, etc., how is EOS planning on staying ahead? And I, I loved Dan's response to this. Da- Dan has a, a, a way of words, I, I'd like to say. Uh, he said, quote, we have a better foundation. The sheer number of features we have will take them years to match. They have not yet begun to contemplate the problems that we have already solved. Wow. Yeah, and, and that's coming from a guy who's launched two successful blockchains. He, he's one of the top two brains in, in the developer space next Definitely. to Vitalik. And there's no man I respect more than Dan Larimer. Definitely. That's a great quote to end it. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Everything EOS. We'll be back next week talking about Everipedia, uh, unless there's some other announcement <laughs> in between then and there. But uh, I don't think they have one scheduled. So, All right. Thank you for tuning in again to Everything EOS podcast by ICO Alert. Once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Everything EOS.